Welcome to the Ipsos Mori Politics and Society podcast. My name is Kieran Pedley. Now, we were talking earlier this week in the team about how we hadn't done a podcast for a little while, and we've just had the uh, latest round of Ipsos Mori political monitor data out. So myself and my esteemed colleague, Cameron Garrett, thought we'd jump on the mic, as it were, um, PJ and Duncan style, for those of you that are a bit older. Probably a reference that goes over Cameron's head. I don't know. Don't want to put words into his mouth. But anyway, we thought we'd jump on the mic and uh, talk a little bit about uh, the numbers, what, what we've learned from them. It's always useful to sort of take stock at the end of each wave to uh, see what the trends are uh, are saying. But uh, Cameron, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Aaron. Um, yeah, PJ and Duncan is just before me, I'm afraid. But... <laughs> Anton Deck back in their olden days. Um, anyway, God, there's all sorts of Biker Grove references I could make, but I'm not going to. <laughs> so where are we, Cameron? We had our political monitor out this week, and as everyone probably knows, that's our sort of pretty much monthly uh, sort of a politics poll that looks at voting attention, leader satisfaction ratings, and then you know, usually some topical things that may or may not be trends. And I suppose... The headline this month is that the Conservatives are nine points ahead, um, I should say, in the interest of full transparency. You know, other pollsters have it different. We're not saying that ours is, you know, the the, the definition of the truth. There are a variety of uh, pictures out there, but I think the polls do show pretty solid leads for the Conservatives right now. Um, and what we're, what we're seeing is that that's up from a, a three-point lead, I think it was, in the previous month. So the Conservatives on 44, Labour 35, um, Greens ahead of the Lib Dems on uh, on seven and six respectively. So, whilst not exactly back where the two main parties were at the last general election, it's it's not far off, Cameron, is it? No, no, not at all. Um, we had some dips throughout the past year. I think Labour took the lead just once, but the Conservatives have managed to wangle it back. Um, I guess, what do you reckon is driving this Conservative vote lead, Kieran? It's obviously been an unprecedented year, but how have they managed to re-establish it back to what it was like just after the election? Yeah, I think there's there's two ways of looking at that, right? One is just literally, mechanically, why are they ahead? Um, why, why are they on 44? And if you think that they got 45 at the last general election, or thereabouts, you know, it won't surprise you to know that they're largely retaining their vote from that time at the moment. So the Conservatives currently have 94% of their 2019 vote saying they'll vote Tory again. Um, and 76, three quarters of Conservative voters are satisfied with how the government's running the country. So at, at a brutally mechanical level, why are the Tories on in the mid-40s? Well, it's because they're pretty much retaining the vote they got last time. And I suppose um, that's not that surprising in many ways if you think we'll come to covid in a minute but you know brexit has been got done as it were and i know that there's obviously ongoing arguments and debates about the ins and outs of uh you know how that's working and particularly at the moment and so on and so forth but you know, if you put yourself in the mind of a, someone that voted conservative and voted johnson to get brexit done as the phrase went then i mean you're gonna be pretty happy aren't you and then of course there's the there's the uh the, the, the pandemic as well and i think one thing is worth saying, and you sort of alluded to this, it's not been a straight line from 2019 to now. It has it has moved up and down. Back in October, we had Labour five points ahead. 
And I think the handling of the pandemic is certainly uh, highly correlated. It's not the only issue, of course, but it's highly correlated with the Conservative poll lead. And at the moment, the mood music's pretty good uh, for the government, whichever way you slice it. Um, I'm going to throw some numbers out here. Economic optimism. So we ask people, do they think the economy is going to improve or get worse in the next year? We've got a plus 22 score, net, net score. That means 53% think the economy is going to get better and 21% say worse. So that's obviously plus 22. Um, that's the highest net score since April 2015, just before Cameron and Osborne um, were re-elected or won a majority, however you want to phrase it. Um, 82% of the public are satisfied with how the government's rolling out the vaccine. I mean, if you can imagine, I say this a lot, but if you can imagine going down the street and just talking and stopping eight and ten and eight and ten people you stop tell you that they think the government's doing a really good job on probably the most tangible, important thing in their lives, or, or certainly related to it, that's that's good for the government, obviously. Um, and on the handling of the pandemic more generally, they've got a, a net positive score of plus six, which means 44% think the government's doing well at handling the virus, and 38% think they're doing badly. Now, that's obviously a little bit more nuanced. Um, you know, you've got almost roughly equal numbers saying well as badly. But back in sort of October time, when I alluded to Labour having a five-point lead, the score then was minus 20. So you can clearly see there that, again, we're always reluctant as pollsters to say, oh, it's all about this one thing. But the vaccine rollout and uh, the gradual unlocking of the economy have clearly sort of created a bit more public optimism, um, which is helping the Conservatives to retain the vote they had last time. And obviously... Um, they're still so, so they're in the mid forties and they're, they're sort of comfortably ahead. And as I say, other others, other pollsters will have it differently. Um, I suppose one thing for you, Cameron, um, th- these things are kind of relative, aren't they? So on the one hand, you've got I've sort of explained how why the the Conservatives might be retaining their vote from twenty nineteen, but another way of looking at it is why would Labour not be eating into it? And you've been looking at some of. Um, Keir Starmer's numbers, haven't you? So, I mean, what, what's happened to his ratings? Have his moved a bit? Um, yep. So a year <laughs> has proved a very long time in politics for Keir Starmer. Um, 12 months ago, Starmer was the most popular leader of the opposition since Tony Blair. But fast forward to June this year, and now the majority of Britain's 51% are dissatisfied with him. Just 22% satisfied. So take those away from one another. That gives you a net satisfaction of minus 29 which is down from minus 10 in April. Even among those who say they would actually vote Labour if there was an election tomorrow, more are are dissatisfied than satisfied. So obviously a lot has happened since April, with the Labour Party having an underwhelming performance at the local elections, to say the least, and losing Hartlepool in the same night, and then the awkward management of that with the attempted reshuffle. Um, And this has all obviously had an impact. So Starmer's score is now equivalent to Jeremy Corbyn's at the same point into his tenure as leader, and similar to a range of unsuccessful Tories pitted against Blair in the early noughties. So Howard, Ian Duncan Smith, Haig. Actually, the only leader behind Starmer at this stage was Foote in the 80s. So I guess the question is, can he recover from this? Um, We actually have not that much to go on because in the past 40 odd years of our polling only two opposition leaders have actually become pm as we started just as thatcher took office um cameron bounded back from minus 22 
to become the end, which is not far in front of where Starmer is now. And maybe not the best comparison, but Corbyn also had somewhat of a comeback from this position, jumping up to minus one just before the 2017 general election. And I should say, whilst he's equivalent to Jeremy Corbyn's score 15 months in, obviously Jeremy Corbyn dropped much lower. Um, so I'm sure Starmer will be praying that the Batley spend by-election goes his way, and he might use that as a bit of a reset. But he often talks about how Labour has a mountain to climb to get back into government. And it feels like that mountain just keeps getting taller and taller at the minute. It, it does. I mean, I think that the I know that when we publish these results, the, the comparison to Corbyn, how many months? 14 months in, was it? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. 14. So I said 15. No, no, no. I, I, wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't quizzing you. I, I, couldn't remember, I couldn't remember what you said. Um, so, yeah, at the equivalent time, in uh, that sort of raised a few eyebrows, obviously, because I think the... I'm going to use this phrase commentariat. I don't like it, but yeah, I think the the perception is, you know, obviously Corbyn was was really bad, and obviously the the end result for Labour in 2019 was very bad, and so any comparison between Starmer and Corbyn is going to um, uh, sort of raise eyebrows or, or sort of make people sort of uh, think Starmer's on a, a hiding to nothing, if you like. But you are right to point out that Corbyn went much lower. Um, but at the same time, that's not much consolation for Starmer. I mean, the trend is very clear. And I think we can't underestimate, actually, your point that you made about how more Labour voters from 2019, are, uh, for, sorry, from today, are dissatisfied with him than satisfied. Um, I, I've written a piece on uh, the Times Red Box, plug, 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 uh, a few months ago, uh, where one of the points I made was that you, know, you can't underestimate the fact that there are a good chunk of, uh, of voters on the left who are, are sort of pretty unhappy uh, with Starmer. Um, I think it was around one in five Labour voters at that time were unfavourable uh, towards Starmer or one in four, something like that. Um, so Starmer's got a difficult job to do. I mean, he's, he's ultimately got to square an almost seemingly impossible circle, which is to say, uh, right, how do I eat into Leave voters and people that voted Conservative at the last election, whilst also not alienating that sort of younger, urban, more liberal, socially liberal base that now forms the to the extent Labour has one anymore, that forms the Labour base, right? And people that are prepared to shop around, um, let's use the Greens as an example, but you know other parties too. So it's going to be fascinating to see how he manages to do that, if at all. But of course, I mean, the key thing I would emphasise is these things are related to one another. So if for some reason there's a perception that the government have done really badly uh, on something or other in the next 12 months, then that could change not just how people perceive the government, but how they perceive the opposition uh, as well. It was only October, don't forget, that um, Labour were ahead. So things can change, um, but you're quite right. I mean, a pretty negative trend. Um, I mean, let's just dig into that a little bit more, though. What do we know about his actual brand, Cameron? Because, I mean, yes, okay, we've got this satisfaction uh, rating that we track, but, like, I think we've dug a bit deeper, haven't we, in terms of what, how people perceive Starmer? Yep, so we have another tracker. We love trackers at Ipsos Mori, um, <laughs> asking whether voters think certain qualities apply to leaders. And it's, again, more bad news for Starmer. Um, his ratings have fallen across a, across a host of metrics since last September. So he suffered an 18.4 when those thinking he is a capable leader and 17.4s in him being seen as having sound judgment and being a good representative for Britain on the world stage. So just a quarter of the public would now use those attributes to describe him. Um, Johnson's ratings, on the other hand, as you say, it's all relative, 
are more stable and he leads Starmer on a number of measures. So just to rattle off a couple of examples to paint a pretty dire picture for him, um, being seen as a capable leader, um, Johnson leads Starmer by 14 points. Good in a crisis, obviously, the past year, um, Johnson leads Starmer by 17 points. Giving me confidence for Britain's future, Johnson leads um, by 19 points and being seen as patriotic, which has had lots of chat in the commentary, as you said, Kieran, um, Johnson leads Starmer by 22 points. Johnson absolutely floors Starmer on having a lot of personality too. 61% would use that description to describe the Prime Minister, which is a 45-point lead over Starmer. However, a glimmer of light for Labour is that Johnson is also seen as being more likely to be seen as being out of touch and more style than substance, but that really is only a glimmer of light. I do wonder, and I don't have a strong opinion on this, but I do wonder whether the out-of-touch thing is just something that... I don't know, it's almost prized into the Conservative brand to some extent. Like, you're very unlikely. I wonder, like, to what extent you're ever likely to have a Conservative Prime Minister that's seen more in touch than, um, or less out of touch, to be specific, than, than the Labour leader. But does it even matter, like, if they're seen as doing a good job? I mean, we can't really answer that, but uh, we, we know from the two main parties they have certain uh, attributes that people associate them with, don't they? Um, but then it's about sort of dealing with your weaknesses as well as your strengths. Um you talked about Batley and Spen earlier, Cameron. I mean, like, what, I suppose if Labour were to lose uh, Batley and Spen, so this is a by-election in early July, for those that, I mean, I imagine most people listening to this will be aware of it, but uh, so um, that's a seat where there's a much, much, much weaker uh, Brexit party presence from in, in 2019. So it's it, you don't quite have the same, I don't know if excuse is the right word, because voters are voters but like you don't quite have the same explanation that says oh well Hartlepool you know there were all these Brexit votes party voters and when they when when, when then Brexit party isn't standing then of course Labour lost the seat etc I mean leaving aside whether you think that's a convincing explanation or, or that makes it okay if you like um that that that's, that dynamic isn't quite the same in Batley and Spen so if Starmore was to lose there as well uh, or Labour were, were to lose that seat as well that would obviously be uh, very damaging to him which uh, presents the question of alternatives, doesn't it? So we've been asking about different Labour politicians and whether they have what it takes to be a good Prime Minister. So what, what, do, we, what do we learn there? Yep. Um, so I would just say also, I don't think that is a convincing argument that you can just <laughs> sign off the Brexit party voters and say, oh, no, they're just going to go to Conservative because Labour just can't go into the next election saying that they need an answer. Um, well, yeah, exactly. But, it's not, you can't exactly yeah. say, well, what you've got to understand is that 45% of the country is going to vote Conservative. It's a bit like, well, okay, <laughs> yeah, that exactly. makes it quite difficult for you to vote, um, doesn't it? But sorry, go on. So looking at alternatives to Starmer, so even before the Batley spend by-election, and we know the, before we know the results of that, 50% of the public think the Labour Party should already change its leader before the next general election, which is unquestionably dire. But if you're in the Labour Party and again looking for some light, it is down from 62% in the months before the 2019 general election when Jeremy Corbyn was leader. Um, However, it's less certain who would replace Keir Starmer. We asked Britons whether a handful of politicians had what it takes to be a good PM. Um, Andy Burnham leads the pack for Labour with 37% agreeing that he does have what it takes. And for context, that's in line with Rishi Sunak, who polls 36% saying the same. Um, and he's been polling very well over the past year. So it's good for Burnham that he's in line with Sunak. Um, fewer than a quarter said Keir Starmer has what it takes, which is obviously behind Burnham, but also said he can't on 29%. The problem is to be elected 
you need to be in the parliamentary Labour Party, which neither are as both our city mayors. We um, did poll about Angela Rayner and Lisa Nandy, but just 18%, 15% respectively said they had what it takes to be a good PM with a large amount of don't knows and people saying they don't know who they are. So the problem for Labour is the people polling well can't actually stand for leader. <laughs> Those who can stand for leader are largely unknown by the public. And then there's also the cynic in me that says, even if you were polling well right now and a well-known and a rising star in the Labour Party, would you really want to be Labour leader? There's unquestionably a mountain to climb and a historically popular government and prime minister. The next election might be sooner rather than later, as pollsters, I know we love to speculate. Um, and do you really want to take that on? Or would you rather let Keir do the next election and then you deal with the aftermath? We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, some fascinating numbers there. I mean, Labour do love a prince across the water, don't they? It was always David Miliband they used to talk about, but um, you know, now Andy Burnham is the one that stands out there, I think, for people. I mean, I must say, I do. I'm not going to make any judgments about how whether Andy Burnham ever will be Labour leader or how he would do, because there's all sorts of timing issues, and you never quite know, do you, until uh, they are leader of the opposition and so on. But it does strike me that in this era that we're in at the moment, where we're talking about levelling up and we're talking about um, sort of uh, London elites versus the rest of the country, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You get the feeling that there is a, there is at least a story Andy Burnham can tell. I mean, again, don't know how well it would land, but about okay, I left London and I went to you know uh, uh, I went and become mayor of Manchester, and you know I saw I saw how the rest of the country is treated by those Londoners and all this sort of stuff. I mean, it, it, I could see there being at least a story to tell. Whether that works is obviously a completely different question. Um, and on Angela Rayner and Lisa Nandy, I mean, I think you're right. The don't knows is the important point there. You've got clear majorities saying that they either don't know or they have no opinion on them. So, I mean, I wouldn't, whilst their numbers are weak uh, in terms of around one in five, thinking they've got what it takes, uh, that's possibly not a reflection on people thinking they don't. It's just people don't really know who they are. Uh, Michael Gove was on that list as well from the Conservative side, wasn't he? Was it 60% said, saying it doesn't have disagreeing that he has what it takes? Was that right? I mean... Yeah, so. 60% disagree, 13% say they, he has what it takes, and just 26% of Conservative voters think he has what it takes. I mean, that that's pretty interesting numbers, striking, shall we say. I mean, I think, I don't know, do I want to go here and say Gove's the Tory Corbyn? I don't know, that might be a bit strong. But like, <laughs> but like, it, what, what strikes me is that when you read, when you read commentary on, um, I, I, this, this struck me, the reason we put him in the poll, well, as much as anything, was I saw there was some rumours about Dominic Cummings and sort of plotting with Gove, and it's all probably nonsense. But I was just curious to see kind of what, um, Gove is someone that's constantly floating around the Conservative leadership uh, question, isn't he? I mean, he's run before. Um, and no one's suggesting there's going to be a conservative leadership race anytime soon for reasons I'll come to in a minute. But it does strike me that actually, like, Gove is definitely someone that's much more popular with the Conservative Party than he is with the public. Um, and you see that with six in ten so disagreeing. He's got what it takes to be a good prime minister. And I suppose it just goes back to how these things are all relative, doesn't it? You know, if, if there's a day in the future where for some reason Michael Gove becomes prime minister, that would obviously fundamentally alter the dynamics. But again, you know, it's, all, it's all sort of speculation. Um, just in closing, uh, Cameron, one of the things I wanted to talk about was, was Boris Johnson's ratings. Because like you mentioned earlier about how, we talked earlier about how the government's doing pretty well uh, and um, in public perception terms. One thing that struck me preparing for this podcast was Boris Johnson's satisfaction ratings. Now, on face value, 44% satisfied and 47% dissatisfied. So that's a net of minus three. 
doesn't seem that impressive, does it? If you just told someone, you know, in a pub or like just someone who doesn't really know polling, oh yeah, it's, it's kind of minus three. You know, people wouldn't necessarily think that was any good, but actually, it's, it's it pretty much it pretty it's very good. Like my, um, the average for a prime minister net rating that is in our history go back to like the late seventies with the Ipswich Warrior Political Monitor. The average prime minister net rating is minus thirteen, so Johnson's on minus three. Um, at this equivalent stage, roughly two years into his premiership, I think it's going to be two years next month. Um, Johnson's rating of minus three is actually better than every other prime minister, quite convincingly so as well, apart from Tony Blair, uh, who had a who had a net positive rating. I think it's the plus thirties. I haven't got it in front of me. So it's where when we talk about Starmer, when we talk about the Tories being uh, nine points ahead and people being quite happy with the gov- the Tory voters being quite happy with the government and so on and so forth. Um, you can't take Boris Johnson out of that equation, and I think it's worth uh, it's worth people sort of. Um, internalizing or digesting the fact that even though he's got roughly equal numbers satisfied as dissatisfied with him actually having 44 percent of the public happy with what you're doing as prime minister is a pretty strong position to be in and that's reflected in those net ratings so i think like there's a coherence to what we're seeing i think isn't there there's there's on the issues of the day, the government seems to be doing well. They're retaining their support from last time. And the opposition, whilst it had a bit of a moment in the sun, or its new leader did, that sort of regressed a bit. And so we kind of are where we are. But maybe in closing, Cameron, just your thoughts on some of that and just uh, any any final remarks you have? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think what's fascinating about Boris Johnson's government is they came in as by far the most historically unpopular government, new government ever, because they came in mid-Brexit negotiations. I think it was minus 67. And so when you look at that chart, the way they've managed to turn it around to be up near zero, it's unprecedented. Governments are meant to come in popular and leave unpopular. And that obviously might still play out. But the fact that he started unpopular and become popular is quite fascinating in our trends. Um, Yeah. Other faults, I think Batley Spen is the thing to watch at the minute. Um, they have a strong um, local candidate in Kim Leadbeater, sister of Joe Cox. As you said, the Brexit party vote it, um, wasn't as big there. So that might give a chance for the Labour Party to reset. I'm sure Keir Starmer's hoping that he's once the pandemic um, restrictions ease, he'll be able to get there and connect with voters, take off the mask, as it were. Um, and we'll just have to see whether it's too late or not for him. No, I agree. And I think the one thing we always stress um, at Ipsos Mori and, and, and when, we're, when we're talking about these polls is things can change, right? So the, the dynamics right now are really good. Um, if there was an election next month, you know, the Conservatives would be on course to do extremely well um, and, and you know, certainly win re-election. I think that's fair to say. And uh, you know, poss- possibly of new boundaries, well, more than likely with new boundaries, increase their majority, maybe slightly. But that's obviously... Yeah, who knows? There isn't going to be one next month, so we can only speculate. But even if the election is in 2023, um, we don't know. Um, that's still a couple of years away, so um, we'll have to watch this space. But Cameron, thanks as ever for your brilliant insights. Um, and thanks to you, the listener, for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, uh, and give it, share us on social media, give us a positive rating on iTunes or Spotify or elsewhere. Helps uh, spread the word. And we're going to try to do a few more of these sort of bite-sized ones to... Uh, as we as we produce more numbers in the future so watch out for those